Kings. Let me get you started tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and Romans 13. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and Romans 13. <clears throat> Father, we release our faith tonight uh, in uh, this moment in you, asking you for revelation. Father, head knowledge isn't going to get us where we need to be. It has to register upon our spirits. It has to land upon our heart before it's really ours. And so I thank you that really never happens except the Holy Spirit directly impart and give the light and the knowledge of the truth. You are the spirit of truth. You're the author of the book. And I thank you for anointing me right now, Father, in these next few minutes to communicate God's heart, God's mind, God's word, not my thought, not my opinion, not my conviction, and make me an able minister of the New Testament. And then, Father, I thank you that we release faith that uh, these that are receiving the word, sitting under the ministry of the word, their minds are alert, their hearts are open, they are receiving, they are drawing, they are laying hold. And God, all of us doing our part, there'll be success, there'll be results. And we just so thank you that the word is affecting us and causing us to move forward in every area, to grow in every area this year. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was going to have us do that confession, but for time's sake, we'll let it go. But uh, <clears throat> I hope you got some momentum going with your saying list. If not, get it out tonight before you go to bed. You got to say it to move it. Amen. You got to say it to move it. So we've been talking about for a number of weeks in these Wednesday night services when I've been here uh, about being covenant minded. And we're growing in that. We're all learning and we're all at different stages. We've got different levels of light. And uh, so no one's being condemned, right? No one uh, should feel like they're being beat up on at all, but we're learning. And uh, we talked about that uh, part of what has to be in place if we're going to be covenant-minded is that uh, we have to be faithfulness-minded. We have to be developing in that virtue, that fruit. But then we also shifted over to the subject of honor. Honor is another key ingredient to anyone that's going to be covenant-minded. <clears throat> hey, you guys ever had a uh, maybe something that was on the line or you, maybe it was a little vague like a coupon or something and you brought it in? or a receipt, and maybe it was a little old or whatever, but you said, well, would you, I got my receipt, will you honor it? We use the word honor in that, in that context, don't we? Well, in that context, what do we mean? Will you fulfill? Amen? And so, you know, being covenant-minded means I'm thinking about all my relationships, right? We need to be thinking about our relationships. We have, I think about relationships like a, uh, like a bullseye target. And I have my innermost tight, tight. Yeah, I got me and the Father, me and Jesus, me and the Holy Ghost. And I let my wife in there pretty often. <laughs> Amen. And then there's me and my wife. And then it's just going to go out from there. And mentally, I sort of know where all of you are on that circle. And where you land on that circle is defining about 
what you get to know, what you don't get to know, and how much time we're going to spend together and all that doesn't make anybody bad, but not everybody has the same place in my life, and not everybody should have the same place in your life. Amen? So, but a covenant-minded person in a relationship uh, is thinking about what are, why am I in this relationship? And what are my role, what's my role in the relationship? What are my responsibilities in this relationship? And then am I fulfilling that? Am I fulfilling that? You know, if you're going to, to me, being a friend is kind of a big thing. I decided a long time ago, you need to know this about me. I am done. I have no, zero tolerance for one-sided relationships. You ever been in one of those? Where any, if the relationship is going to have any spark, any energy, any fruit to it at all, you got to put all the life in it, all the effort. If you're going to, if anyone's going to talk, you're going to call, you're going to text, you're going to, I'm done. I don't do that. If I have to carry the relationship by myself, it's not a relationship, and I, I just don't want anything about it. That's fine. You don't want to call me. You don't want to like that. Obviously, you're not that into me, and that's okay. You don't have to be. But I'm not going to try to keep something afloat that you want to drown. Amen. But if we're going to have a friendship, then I'm going to be a friend. I'm going to do my best to fulfill it on that level. But I understand that uh, someone that I get together with on a Saturday to watch the Sooners beat up on Texas, amen, is not the same kind of dynamic that I'm going to get over into intercession with, necessarily. Someone might be a great member of the Sooner Nation, but they don't know the word intercession for nothing. They can't spell it forward or backwards or up or down or nothing. Does that make sense? You, just be, you need to be intelligent. And here's another thing you need to think about if you're going to be covenant-minded in your relationship. Is this relationship adding anything to my life or is it just sucking all the time and all the life out of my whole schedule? I mean, is it fueling my fire in my walk with Jesus? Or am I, you know, is, is this relationship pushing me towards being backslid? You know, be thinking. Well, I've known them forever. And... Jesus invested a lot in those 12, and then when, when the whole crowd left, he said, this would be a good time. For, if y'all are thinking about leaving, just go right on ahead. See, Jesus was ready after he invested everything into a group. He was ready to say, if you, if you want to, you can just go right on about your way. That's another thing, you know. I've been around Dr. Jacobs, I think, a little bit. I don't try to do that, but anyway. You know how busy he is with his hands? I'm going to try to just preach with my hands in my pocket. I'll start getting like that. What was I saying anyway? Well, another thing about, you know, your relationships is, yeah, is it adding anything? Why am I in this relationship? Should I be in this relationship? Amen. Now, I'm not, you can't apply that to your marriage. <laughs> You know, you got one of these on. I mean, you can't have one of those thoughts. You should have thought about that before you said, I do. Yeah, amen. Well, anyway, we got off on all that. But this, there's a lot that goes into if you'll be uh, not just an emotional person. Well, I just want to be part of that group. Why? Why? Right? Uh, does God want you to be a part of that group? Amen. You know, the Bible says a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before great men. Amen. I didn't network my way in 
to the relationships I have in ministry. And the only reason I have those relationships, it isn't because I'm that, you know, I think I'm all that bag chips and all that too, but that's not it. It's because evidently for my ministry mantle to be everything it needs to be, then I need those relationships on that level to nourish that mantle. But not everybody's going to need that. And so God won't necessarily clutter up those people's lives with that, and that's not a slight against anybody else. Amen. Amen. Anyway, but uh, okay, let's get on this honor thing for a minute. <laughs> All right, First Samuel chapter 2, and let's look at the verse, uh, you know, uh, verse 30, and look at the law of honor again. I don't have time to go back and give you the context. You know, this is Eli. And uh, <clears throat> young Samuel's got the word of the Lord, and it's really a rebuke to Eli and his two sons who are really dishonoring the ministry in gross and awful ways. And now a prophetic word is coming, uh, indicating judgment. But God sort of sums it up here in the latter part of verse 30 and says, uh, he says, pick it up where it says, for them that honor me, now this is God talking, for them that honor me, I will honor and they that despise me will be lightly esteemed. So this is the law of honor. And we're all subject to it. Well, I didn't know about the law of honor. It's still in there. It's still working. <laughs> Amen. And now all of us under the sound of my voice are now enlightened that there is this statement. Amen. From God. And notice he's, he made this statement in dealing with not... Pagan people, but covenant people. His people. People he's anointed to be in the ministry. Amen. Hallelujah. And so he said, if you will honor me, what would he do? What did he promise? I will honor you. And that's something you want. None of us really have a full conception of what that would look like. But you know, when God protects you, when you could have had a devastating car accident, he honored you. He didn't have to do that. But there was something in your life that permit, he wants to deliver every human being. So the question is, what prevents him from being, when a tragedy happens? That's the question you ought to ask. Hmm, not did, why did God take them? He did not take them. Amen. But the question would be, what prevented God from being able to intervene and deliver them out of that situation? Amen. Well, anytime God moves on our behalf and pays a bill we could not pay, that is Him honoring us. He is involving Himself in our life for our benefit. Amen. When He shows up in your devotional room and you're saturated with His presence and you're crying because you know, His holy presence, and He brings you a word for the day that just makes your day just so wonderful, you know. He honored you. He honored. He didn't have to manifest Himself like that, but He did. You see what I mean? I mean, so the ways that God would honor, that'd be a, that would be a good Genesis to Revelation study of the Bible. How did God involve Himself in humanity's lives and honored them? He honored Noah, didn't He? He honored Noah. And said, I'm going to save you and all your, your, your seven, you know, immediate family member because you're the only one that even thinks about me left on this planet. Well, he honored him, didn't he? But what did it say about those who 
uh, lightly esteem him, that despise him. He said that they would be lightly esteemed. That they would be lightly esteemed. And um, I want to make this statement. I thought this was good, meditating on this afternoon. If God and His things are not high on our radar and our to-do list, then your things are not on God's radar or to-do list. If you want to get on God's radar and your things be high on His to-do list, then you have to, before your stuff, before your family, before your marriage, before your kids, before your mortgage, before your rent, you have to demonstrate to God that His things, Him personally, and His things and the things that He desires and cares about, that is on your radar and that's on your to-do list and it's on there first. Oh, hallelujah. Amen? All right, quickly, let's go over to Romans 13. Flip over there, Romans 13. This is where we ended the last time I was here. Romans 13 and verse 7, Paul said here, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. The next phrase is, Owe no man anything. So we are to render, we are commanded. It's not about feelings. It's not about what you think certain people have earned or deserve. But God has ordained certain places and positions to have honor attached to that. And God says, Paul, by the Spirit, Paul said, Render unto them all their dues. Tribute to whom, to whom tribute, taxes to whom taxes, reverence to whom reverence, respect to whom and honor to whom honor. So do you see that you and I, we owe honor Amen. Wherever God in His Word commands honor, give me some places that we, 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 I went over this with you last time, if you remember. What are some of the relationships where we're commanded in Scripture, honor governmental authority? Our parents, honor your mother and father. Pastors. You know, really, you, you could apply, uh, honor your father and mother, spiritually father, spiritual fathers and mothers in the same vein. But certainly your natural ones also. Anybody else? Your employer? All men? Honor God, honor the king? Your spouse? 1 Peter 3, 7. Amen. So really, every key fundamental relationship we're going to have, honor is to be present in that relationship. Amen. And listen, when we take God's commandments and we honor our employer... The good ones and the bad ones. Not because we think they deserve it, but as unto the Lord. Guess what? You honored the Lord. You honored the Lord. And that should be your motivation. I'm not doing it for them. I am doing it as unto the Lord. Well, you've honored the Lord. What's He going to do? He's going to honor you. But what if you just forget off this and get in your flesh and fly off the handle and act all disrespectful to your spouse? Or to, well, that too, but I'm talking about your employer. Amen. You've dishonored God. You haven't just disrespected that one, but because God commanded you to show honor and you didn't. You showed disrespect. You have disrespected God who commanded that we not do that. And we've broken the law of honor again. And see, this is a big deal, but bless you, sir. The devil 
is looking for an inroad. He is looking for an inroad. And one of the big access points in our culture today is this open door of dishonor. And yet it's funny, humans walk around and demand respect. Like to the point of, I'll pull a gun on you, you're going to respect. Well, that's not respect. That's intimidation and fear. You know, you should never, in any context, demand respect. You should just demonstrate a life worthy of it. And if they don't give it to you, that's on their side with God. But you've got no business walking around your home saying, woman, you're going to respect me. You just really don't. Amen. Hallelujah. I just try to live my life uh, in a way that is worthy of respect. And if anyone's going to give that, that's fine. I'm glad about it. You've got some light. I'm going to receive it. Good on you. And if not, I'm just going to give that to God and forgive you and move on. My job is to honor as I have light on that. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Well, you know, time's already getting away, so I'm just going to jump right to it. And, um, you know, if, if we'll learn to honor God more, He will honor us more. And I have not arrived in my understanding of honor. I, 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 God has put such wonderful examples in friendships and ministries in my life that are operating in this principle at a higher level than me. And I'm not, I don't get beat up about that, but I just appreciate their example and I just continue to reach and come up higher. And when I, when I find myself acting disrespectfully or dishonorably, I just repent and ask God to forgive me. Amen? But I'm interested in learning and making the changes. Are you interested in, are you okay making some changes? That's all really God is hoping for is that we'll hear the truth, be able to receive the truth, and make some changes. Well, there's so, you, you couldn't touch all year long preaching on this subject, all the different ways that we break the law of honor as humans and show disrespect. Amen? But I can take a few minutes and relate to you something that God specifically pointed out to me and dealt with me today about, and I didn't really think about it that way. But let's go to Matthew chapter 6. And the thing that he highlighted to me this afternoon was misplaced priorities is a manifestation of dishonor for God. Hallelujah. So Matthew chapter 6. You know, beginning in verse 25, Jesus begins to instruct the people and encouraging them, really commanding them not to worry but to know that we have a loving Heavenly Father who knows what we have need of. In another gospel, it's it's recorded that Jesus said it's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Amen. And that we are to look at the birds, to look at the lilies of the field, see how God is faithful to provide for nature. Amen. And that we're better than a bird. And, right, you're better than a bird, and that God will take care of us. We don't have to worry, and we're not supposed to worry. We hinder God when we worry. And then look at verse uh, 32. It says, for after all these things, he's talking about clothes, he's talking about food, he's talking about things everybody that's, uh, you know, got any sense knows that they need and they want. 
For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Now notice this, but seek ye first. Did you get that? I know this is familiar, but act like, and don't give yourself a passing grade. Don't dismiss me and God and just give yourself a quick check mark. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, I think a lot of us, we've emphasized the kingdom of God, but we're not seeking his righteousness. A lot of Christians live immoral lives. They don't live clean lives. They lie, cheat, and steal. They manipulate. They gossip. They backbite. They, they do all kinds of things. And uh, praise God. You know, we're supposed to uh, seek after God's righteousness. Amplified says His ways of doing right and his ways of being right. So just, just a rhetorical question. Examine yourself. Are you actively first seeking God's ways of doing things and his ways of being right? If we're not, we don't qualify for the scripture. God has a way he wants things done. He's got a way. He does things. Amen. And he's got a way that he, he has defined, this is the way to be right. Amen. And we need to be interested in seeking. That word seek means to inquire after, to require. Uh, I love this definition of the word. It means to investigate. So if we're seeking, we are investigating what is what does God think is right living? Not, not what the culture says. Not what I think. What does God think about righteous, right living and right doing? Amen. You know, he, a good place to start is walking in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8 in the Amplified. And doing no ill to your neighbor. I think it's getting quieter as we go along here. Give me a second to look for this specific note here. Yeah, thank you. The New Living Translation says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Well, Pastor, I, God, I'm, I'm, I'm all about my business right now, and I'm just pouring everything into my business. Understood. But you're, in, you're now in violation of Matthew 6.33. Amen. You can be in obedience to this scripture half the day and in total rebellion to it the next day. Right? So just because you thought about this scripture four years ago and made some changes doesn't mean that you're walking in the light of it today. Does God and his kingdom and his church and his mission, amen, and his ways of living and his ways of being right, are you seeking that above everything else in your life, including your mama, your children, your money, your house, your car, your dream, everything? And if you're not, if I'm not, we don't qualify for what he's about to say. Now, now no, no, nobody likes hearing this. But see, so many of us charismatics, Pentecostal, word of faith, we just think we got this down because of this. We tithe. 
And, and people really have, I know this by the Spirit. They have this mentality. If I tithe, then I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all things will be added to me no matter what, even if I haven't seen the inside of a church in three years. Well, it's a good and right thing to tithe. But the act of tithing alone does not qualify you for this verse. Not tithing definitely disqualifies you from this verse. But tithing does not qualify you. And people have it in their brain. Oh, man, and they're faithful. They are not interested in serving. They do not come to church with any regular basis. They are not interested in missions or prayer groups or anything going on in the kingdom. But bless God, rip their arm off. They know if I just tithe, everything's going to be all right with me. That's a deception, honey. Thank God you've got that little, that important thread between you and God, amen, that he's using to get something to your life. But that doesn't mean we're walking in the light of this verse. What about the last thing God assigned to you and told you to do? If you've put something else that you wanted to do ahead of that, you're not living in, in harmony with this verse. Where did God tell you to be? Where did God tell you to live? What did God talk to you about your life? What did God tell you to pursue? Oh, glory. Well, we, we, we read this verse because we want to get to the good part, right? And all these things, I'm talking about the houses, the lands, the cars, everything the Gentiles seek, all of these things will be added to you besides but only after, my brother, we, we bring our life into harmony with what he said. And God told me today, many of my children know this, but they have misplaced priorities. I was going through, I, I haven't really deleted any of your emails for any length of time. And every Tuesday, pretty much, she sends me an attendance report. And a lot of times she's already made contact with folks that are, Absent. And if she's contacting them, it means we haven't seen them in two Sundays. Right? And, and listen, I don't mean this. I just have to get illustrations from somewhere. And so just, if this is you, just look straight ahead. Smile. I'm just, you, I have to find an illustration somewhere to use, but I'm not attacking anybody. Just smile and act like you're shocked about it and no one will know it was you. But she'll tell me some of the responses. And just some of the responses are like, it's just been a really busy month for me. Well, let's stop and evaluate that. They're not sick. They didn't say they couldn't come there actively at work. This way I interpret it and this way I believe God interpreted it. He, they could have said this, Pastor, I've had a whole lot more things that I have deemed more important than church that I have been giving myself to. And when I, if I ever get done with those things that are more important, then perhaps I'll be able to make time for church. That's what they're saying in a very polite way. Now think about this. And think about how that lands on God. See, this is how we're back to honor again. And a lot of people, the way they'll talk is they talk in terms of, I, they felt like I had to do this. When you say, I have to, I, I have to do this. That's, that's language that's saying, I deem this essential, it's important. But by choosing not to come to church, they have said, I don't feel like I have to come to church. Church is optional. 
Serving in the kingdom is optional. Praying is optional. If I can get to it, but listen, I've, my family's important to me. Well, my family's important to me too. But Jesus, our Lord, said our family cannot be more important than Him. And really, if we'll put Him in His proper place, He will do more for your family. He'll be able... See, what did He say? If you honor me, I will honor you. Brother Lon and I was talking, he's just been on this adventure and he's got this place on his land where he's, this is my prayer room, this is my place, and he's just made a quality decision. I'm not going to give myself to other things you know, before I have this time with God. And he's just out there in the lobby telling me, it's amazing that hour and a half that I thought I could not give, I'm giving it to him, and I don't miss that time. I'm getting everything done, everything's running smooth. God is helping me. Well, see, he's honoring God in that way, and it's showing up in the rest of the day. See, we live in violation of the Scripture, and the devil gets in and causes trouble. And so we have all this trouble in our life, and we say to the pastor, well, the reason I haven't been in church is because I have all this trouble. When I get all this trouble fixed up, you know, I'll be able to come back. But the fact that you're not putting God first is the, way, is the reason why the devil's getting in there. And if you just put your foot to that and shut that door, God will be able to get involved in all of those areas, and he wants to now, but he can't because we're living in violation of his word. We just, if that's us, listen, just, you just repent and change about it. Well, you know, I am preparing for this new job. I got this new job coming up, and I have just, I am just, I am preparing. It must be very important to you. Must be very, and it, it's, it's not that it shouldn't be important to you, but get the light. If you elevate that above engagement with the kingdom, you have excluded God from helping you and you're on your own. And we've dishonored God by having a misplaced priority. You know, Brother Hagin, sometimes you just had to shock people into reality. Most people are, are not intentionally, nobody's in, really intentionally trying to dishonor God. It's got any sense about them. But it's like Dr. Jacob said, we're just the most distracted generation that's ever walked the planet. And really, he, he's amazed anyone ever finds their way into the door of a church as distracted as we are. But listen, in this, and we are living in the last of 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 the last days, and the devil is putting all kinds of pressure on you. You're going to have to just put your foot down and say, here are some things that are not negotiable in my life. If I have to live in a cardboard box wrapped in plastic, I'm going to put God first. And he's going to get that tithe. Amen. But he's going to get more than my tithe. He's going to get my time. And the church is going to get my service. And I'm going to be a witness in my city, in my community. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Go over with me. And I'm going to have to quit maybe at this scripture here. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. And uh, God's not mad at us. 
But see, the sense I got in fellowshipping him with this afternoon, he longs, he longs to be more involved in our lives. But the law is, if he that honors me gets a response, God said. It's not, I'm going to honor you. God didn't say, I'm going to honor you and hope for the best. That's not what he said. <laughs> the ball's in our court. Amen? Okay, more than Reverend Marilyn and Reverend Richard say amen. Okay, say oh me or something. Praise God. All right, I'm reading from the Amplified Translation. And uh, so maybe they could put that on the screen. Uh, Philippians 1.10. Now this is in the middle of a prayer that Paul is praying. And so I'll say it this way, that Paul's praying so that you may, believers at Philippi and us here in Paducah, that we may surely learn. Now notice, that's a comforting word. We have to learn. Amen? We have to, I'll go on. That you surely learn to sense what is vital. So we're, you know, this generation of Christians today is not the only one that needed prayer to be able to learn to sense in life what's truly vital. Please don't beat yourself up. I told God today, I said, come on, God. I mean, I've been in these great meetings, and I want to I, I shout. I want to run around. I want to just have a Holy Ghost service. You're going to make me talk about all this. coming. To, I, just, I said, I feel like I have a, 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 a harp ministry. Like I'm just going to harp, harp, harp on you. <laughs> and I didn't want to come and play the harp tonight. But God said, my people have misplaced priorities and it's dishonor. They don't see it that way. And I can't, you know, he said to me, as long as my people have misplaced priorities, Matthew 6, houses, cars, lands, things you need and want. He said, the things my people need and the things my people desire, I will not be able to help them with. I'd have to violate my word while they have misplaced priorities to bring them the things that they need and the things they desire while they're dishonoring me. Amen. Let's turn God loose. I said, let's turn God loose in our family. Amen. In our finances, in our health, in our children, in our marriage, in every other way. Surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize. You know, eventually this has got to become a heart thing where, see, in my life, I'm not willing to miss. I am not willing to miss. When God quickens me to be in a meeting, and that means i got to get on two airplanes and deal with all that mess in 12 hours and be tired and rent a car and deal with all that, fine, I am not willing to miss. Amen. It hadn't happened a lot, but it has happened to me on occasion where I'm in service and the Holy Ghost quickens me to call out or minister to one of my congregation members, maybe an impartation, maybe a prophecy. And I look up and they're not there. And then they're in the next service, but I have no unction in the next service. I have no anointing for it. This is interesting. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost. Did he not know that they were not there? He did. 
why would he, knowing they're not there, move on me anyway? Because, I believe, to let me know he had something for them, but they missed it. And number two, he expected them to be there. He expected them to be there, and they weren't. And think about it. What if they said, that I was watching live stream. I couldn't see their face. I had no one to put my hands on. And he didn't give me a word of knowledge like he did about depression. That'd be different. But I didn't have any unction to say it when I was supposed to lay my hands on them. See, we don't realize what we miss when we miss. And you just never know what service. Now, is it a sin to miss a church? No. I'm going to miss some church service this year. I am going to go on a family vacation for at least 10 days. Amen. That's not a sin. And I'm not going to find a church on the beach in Florida to go, I'm going to not be there. I'm going to be on the beach resting. That's not a sin. You believe God for a vacation. It's not bondage. Amen. But, you know, I don't have time to go over to Luke 14. And remember, you know, the great master of the house had prepared a, a, a great supper. And he bid all these people. He invited all these people. And then they began to make excuse. And one said, well, I bought a piece of property. I got to go look at it. No one buys land without looking at it first. Well, I bought, I bought a new team of oxen. I got to go test them out. You can test them out on another day. No, it's more important to me. Right? I got a new motorcycle. I got to go take it out for a drive. Well, do it the next day. My favorite is, I have married a wife. I cannot come. That's my favorite. I've married a wife. I cannot come. Well, we know you married wrong. <clears throat> you get married and your church attendance drops off and you're less committed. We know you married wrong. Yeah. And it said that the master became angry. And he made sure and it took his servants several tries. He said, you fill this place up. You fill up every chair. You fill up to the brink because they're not going to get to change their minds. Someone's going to get what I had for them. Yeah. So look at this. Learn to sense what is vital and to approve and prize what is excellent. I don't want you to increase your church attendance and your commitment because I harped you into it. That's not going to last, right? Because I badgered you real good. That's not going to last. Amen? But if you get the revelation, amen, and begin to prize it because it, it is that important. Now, seeking first the kingdom of God doesn't just translate to church attendance. You, you understand, I do understand that, and you need to understand that. Amen? Kingdom of God is interstellar, it's global, and there's just a lot to it. You've got to figure out what is your assignment, what's your supply, where are you supposed to be, and are you honoring that ticket? Are you fulfilling the duties of that particular responsibility? I'm trying to get this read so we can finish up. 
to prize what is excellent and of real value. Now notice this, recognizing the highest and the best. Right? So you got two options. Amen? Which one's the highest? Which one's the best? You got to have personal revelation and recognize which one that is and then you see, the Cody's, we, we plan our entire world, our entire life over the body of Christ's calendar. Not just the church calendar, but what Pastor Nancy's doing and what Dr. Jacobs is just doing and where my responsibilities are there and everything going on here. And every single thing gets ordered after that. Everything. Well, Pat, you're a pastor. Look, I understand that, but why don't you have to? You should have the same kind of mindset. Amen. Don't schedule your family vacation during the miracle crusade. Right? You should be interested. When are the special meetings, Pastor? <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So notice the, the latter half of this verse talks about the results of beginning to think this way. So that you may be untainted. So having a Misplaced priority is tantamount to being tainted in some way. That you may be pure versus impure. Notice this, unerring. Without making an error. Sometimes if you just let your flesh get in control, I'm not coming because I'm gonna, I've decided I'm going to sit here. Could be a grave error. Depending on what God had for you. Amen unerring and blameless, so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied, you may approach the day of Christ not stumbling and causing others to stumble. Think about that. Christians that live with misplaced prioritize set a bad example for other Christians. When a Christians been in the church a long time. You got a baby Christian coming up, and they see them missing for all kinds of reasons. It's setting a bad example. Amen. We should be. There's some of us, and you are. We should be pillars in the church. A pillar in the church don't go nowhere. <laughs> That's right. Is that right? I'm set. I'm fixed, and I'm not going anywhere. I don't want to stumble through misplaced priorities. And I certainly don't want to cause others to stumble. He goes on and says, May you abound in and be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Hallelujah. Just last thing, you can zip up your Bible or whatever. We were in the back room fellowshipping, and I got to sit across at this moment with Pastor Nancy and Pastor Jay Eberly was there. There's probably seven or eight pastors and their wives there. And, you know, pastors get together and we just talk about it and we, we begin to just talk about the things that we see and the things that we experience as pastors. And, you know, like the flow of the body of Christ that just blows off stuff so easy and the lack of commitment in local churches today. And, um, but then we also begin to talk about what we observe goes on in people's lives that live this way. And, you know... And Pastor Nancy, she said this, she said, people who neglect church attendance for all sorts of reasons, and they're in and out and they're up and down and all this, they are that way 
Because they don't have light. They don't have the light. Now, I had, I had trouble swallowing that for a minute. Because in my mind, I'm going back over all the times I've told them. I told them, I preach it, I teach it, I tell them. How could they not have the light? Well, head knowledge don't mean kerplunk, I got it. Right? Because some people, their ears are like, when they hear it, they're rebelling against it. They don't want to hear it. It's certainly not going to land on your heart when we take that approach. But even sincere people for a good time, they don't. Pastor Nietzsche said, if they don't have the light, that means that there is a level of darkness that is at work in their life that Satan is taking advantage of. And instead of, Pastor Nancy is such a good mentor, instead of being frustrated with the sheep, right, what do we do when someone doesn't have light? Ephesians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Father, Give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Let the eyes of their heart be flooded with light that they might know. Colossians 1.9, Father, I'm asking you that you would fill them with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that they might walk worthy of you unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Amen. Strengthened with all might. And that's, I thought, compassion is always the right. Amen. But I, I, I do pray that our hearts will be open in a new way at the beginning of this year. Are our priorities in line with the book? Are we seeking above all else God, His kingdom, His things, and his ways of doing and living and being right. Because only in that mode can God honor his word and say, now I'm going to add everything that they need, want, and desire to them. Amen? That help you? Misplaced priorities is to God, for people who know better, a form of dishonor. And we've got to stop it. It's our job to, to make that correction. Seven times in two chapters in Revelation, Jesus said, he that overcomes, he that overcomes, he that overcomes. And we have a lot, you had to overcome to be here tonight, right? And, but again, that's just he that overcomes. He that, in these last days, we should be, I'm an overcomer. I'm overcoming that spirit of Antichrist. I'm overcoming the spirit of the world. I'm overcoming everything the devil's throwing at me. I'm overcoming deception. I'm overcoming my flesh. I'm overcoming all the pressure. Amen? I'm an overcomer. And don't get tired of being an overcomer. To be an overcomer, you got to come over some stuff that you didn't want to come over. So don't ever get tired of it. Because there are seven eternal rewards you want when we see Jesus. You read about tonight, to the overcomer. Amen. And greater is he that's in you and me than he that's in this world. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you tonight.